Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach, I chat with Ironman legend Trevor Hendy and his up-and-coming Ironman son, TJ. Then later on, lifeguard Jethro joins me in the shack for Beach Banner and I go to the mailbag to answer questions from the fans. Now let's have a listen to my chat with Trevor and TJ. For this week in the Beach Shack, we've got... uh, Iron Man legend Trevor Hendy and his up and coming son TJ in the Iron Man series. So, welcome, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for having us, mate. Thanks, mate. I reckon TJ would have said Iron Man legend TJ Hendy and his past and over it father, <laughs> Trevor. I don't think yeah. I'd ever say that. But all right. <laughs> that, that that's a natural in it from the son. They look at the, uh, yeah, the old man. There was always uh, the old one. Yeah. Mate, Trevor, I'll, I'll start with you, mate. The. Um, you know, back in the day when you, you started racing mid to late 80s and then into the Uncle Toby series came along, but what made you get into Ironman? Um, long story short was I loved the ocean. I was in the surf club, joined the Nippers when I was eight years old at Surface Paradise and scared the crap out of me and then really loved the fact that I got that self-belief that I could go out in the ocean and catch waves and then you couldn't get me out of the surf. So that didn't change for many, many years when everyone else was training. I was taking steep drops in the shore break, on the, <laughs> standing up on the nipper board and stuff like that, and which I think developed the skill level. And I was a long way behind everybody else for a long time. But when it finally flipped in my head that uh, I wanted to race and do Ironman, it, all that skill level was already there. And then all of a sudden, I just had to do the hard work to build it up. But funnily enough, the impulse was I idolised Dwayne Ties and probably to a degree Grant Kenny. And I loved all my mates in the surf club, felt a bit bullied, had a few sort of bullied experiences of just being growing up in a club where you get, you know, flushed and initiated back in those days and stupid stuff, and which is, thank goodness, we got rid of these days. But um, creates that little thing in your mind that you feel crap about yourself. And I sort of worked out after a while that I wanted to be like Dwayne. He seemed to be the world Ironman champion, and he seemed to send me postcards from Europe and stuff like that and say hello to me. And I was like, to him... I seemed to matter, you know, and so I literally kind of Ironman seemed to be the way to go. It was like a way of me becoming more confident in myself. Like this is all subliminal, subliminal, subconscious, but um, literally so I grabbed it and I loved it and then, you know, decided I want wasn't so much I decided I wanted to be the best. I, I wanted to perfect it. I wanted to do it better than anyone had done it and it was this kind of in, internal thing and it drove me right through for many, many years that, that I loved it and I was always sort of pushing to perfect it and, um do it in a way no one else had ever done it, which I think is a really important thing to do it your own way. Yeah, I think looking back, mate, you uh, you did do it your own way and, and were very, very exceptional at it. And the Uncle Toby series, that you sort of came around right at the right time and you dominated the early uh, Uncle Toby series. And But I know there's a, a couple of tough competitors in there that you raced and, you know, how was that? How did you deal with pretty much going from, I suppose, an amateur sport into a professional sport? 
Yeah, it was right at a time when the sport was building anyway and then we took it into that realm and it just went front page and had big crowds and stuff like that and, and, um, you know, live TV and, you know, there was no Foxtel or Netflix or Facebook or Instagram. (laughs) People were watching one of four stations on a Sunday afternoon with their family, you know, and so we had those millions of viewers and lots of stuff because it was a captive audience. But um, So that was crazy because it amplified the competition and we're all quite different. But Guy Leach, you know, Leach is still a great dear friend of mine and, and we, we speak pretty regularly and just love him to death. But my God, was he hard to race. Like yeah. he was just a brute over endurance. And you got Grant who was just sort of switching towards kayaking but still could have won an Aussie Ironman if he really wanted to. And so as I was coming through juniors, I was just tussling with Grant. And um, Craig Rinnington was, you know, maybe the best one of the if not the best, one of the best Ironman to never to not win an Australian Ironman title. Just ridiculously good, talented, best surf swimmer equal best we've had with a, a Kai Hurst, maybe a Phil Plate yeah. and someone like that. Um, so just really different competitors. Um, Dwayne Tyres was, you know, world champion, Australian champion before me. But then Sean Kenny, Guy Andrews, you know, Darren and Dean didn't race with us because they were in the Nutrigrain series and but we had the rest of the field basically and so then Michael King came through and other people like that and Jonathan Crow and the list just keeps going on and on and on. So it was an amazing period and incredible racing and, and um, because it was a great livelihood to be earned as well, so many people came through quickly thinking they're going to put all their eggs in that basket. So a lot of people trained really hard and worked really hard and saw there was a, a profession in it. So it was crazy. It was a crazy sort of seven or eight years that I was really concentrating in the series that, that the competition was hot and, we went to great venues and big <laughs> waves and all that sort of stuff. So there was no safety like small waves. And I hope I do. It was like you didn't know what was going to happen where you turned up to next. We turned formats upside down. There was no safety, you know. Yeah. So you had to be really consistent across all sorts of different things, which I think made it more compelling and exciting for people to watch. Oh, it definitely did. And it was an amazing era. And well, TJ, growing up, did you um, obviously knew what your dad did? And did, did you see much of the racing of your dad when you were growing up? Not really, like um, not many people really know this, but Dad's professional Ironman career was sort of done at 26, and I was uh, he was 26 when when I came along. So that's a lot different to what people think. They probably think that he raced till 32 and stuff like that in the um, in the Uncle Toby series. So I didn't see a lot of it. I saw you know one thing that I seen a lot was that 2001 board race where Nathan Smith claimed the race, um, and then Dad came over the top and beat him up the beach. I knew what he did. I obviously knew that at that point that there was no debate that they were calling him the greatest of all time and all that sort of stuff. And to be honest, didn't watch a lot of it and sort of just grew up surfing and, and not really watching much of the Ironman stuff. You've probably seen more of it since because I just showed it to him on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just what got you into it though? I mean, obviously you, you said you're surfing and you had that skill in the water and is it something that uh, you strive for? Because... A lot of people, I think, have that issue of, you know, the father being a legend in a certain sport and then the son coming through. How much pressure did you find with that or you just want to be your own person and create your own path? Son of a gun problem. It's always um, <laughs> every every paper when I was growing up, son of a gun, son of a gun, you know, that's what they kept naming me. But um, it, was, it was a bit of luck, to be honest, um, with probably a few things just fell into place right at the right time, I'd sort of um, 
not been surfing as much, been playing a bit of video games and stuff, and then got invited to um, help Dad out training the bronze crew at the surf club. And they would, they would train beside the senior squad at Surface Paradise. So sort of just fell in place where I ended up doing a session or two with the crew, you know, under Zane, who were all under Zane Hamill, pretty much under 17s at that point where he was trying to grow the surf club from um, pretty much just having... Zachary Orchard as their their main competitor, who was a board paddler, Ironman at the time, and was really, really good in the younger ages. And um, I was a year younger than him and just fell in place this, this timing and stuff. And not to be like a little bit cocky here, but I just went along and I could body surf with them and I could do a swim start and be up the front for that sort of stuff. So I thought I sort of fell in love with, you know, being up the pointy end of something where those endorphins are released at the same time. So I probably didn't want to be a professional surfer anymore at that point. A few mates had gone down the road of like partying on the weekends and, and all that sort of stuff. And I just, all things just sort of panned out really well for me. Yeah. With that, Trevor, you were um, won multiple Aussie titles, but in the uh, team events, what stands out? Individually, it's great to win, but how is it when you win with all your mates in a team? Yeah, they're, they're two different experiences. It's probably three different experiences because I've had the chance to win on my own, which is your breakthrough, your own personal stuff. Win with your teammates, which is the people you train with all the time, and you might do a good leg to help the win happen. You know, if you're going to win, normally everyone's done a good leg, but there might be a key moment, and you want to be that person that can help your buddy, you know, have that same feeling that you just got or whatever, or someone does it for you, and it's like, yes, you get to see them, you know, steer at home for the day or whatever it is. So it's such an amazing feeling, and I think it connects to that deeper humanity in us. You know that we're we're more designed to work together than we are to work apart. Yeah. So it always feels better to win as a team. But then the third one was that TJ and I got to win. We won the Australian board. We got to win like it was a thing. We won the Australian <laughs> board rescue title together. You know, five or six years ago, when you know I've been retired for fifteen years or whatever else, yeah. and, and I. That's a whole different feeling again. There's winning on your own. There's winning with your teammates. But then winning with your family member, your son, that, you know, when TJ was born, my whole life changed. And he mentioned that when he was born, I finished racing Ironman. And part of the reason was, you know, having TJ, my whole life changed. Like I literally didn't want to be the Ironman anymore. And I, I, I was pursuing kayaking for a while. But over a period of time, I started actually wanting to be a better human, you know, and <laughs> not be lost in the ego of being an Ironman and I, I went down a path of trying to be a better dad and be someone that I was proud of to be his dad, you know. So when we won the board rescue, I'd kind of completed a bit of a journey, at least a part of it, to get to that place where I was comfortable with the man that I was, the way the way I acted in life and who I was, that I was felt worthy to be his dad and, and raise him at exactly the same time as a as a twenty year old, yeah. you know. TJ steered us home in the board rescue and was just literally like picking him up and then handed yeah. over to him and we did home and won this thing. And I cannot explain how that felt because that's otherworldly, surreal, next level, still makes my heart open, you know, just talking about it and thinking about it because it was about the, the love that we share and what he brought to me at the mm. time, you know. He, he injected a love into me when he was born that was exactly kept me alive. It actually got me out of the bullshit that I got myself into and yeah. – and turn my life around. So winning with him was like made everything else. It was ten <laughs> times better than everything else, you know, because all of that was just a lesson along the way, and that was just the that was the cream on the top. Oh, mate, it would have been something, you know, so surreal. And 
Did, did you think that you know you guys teamed up to do it? Was how did that come about? Was it just oh we'll do a bit of fun? You know we'll compete together. We haven't been able to do that. Like how you know how did that come about? I pretty much said to Dad that um, we should do the board rescue. Imagine if we won won the board rescue. At that point, <laughs> I was actually like almost unbeatable to the can in the in the board um, rescue swims. Like I was really explosive out to the can, and geez, we we sort of. Actually, doing doing the race, we first couple of rounds we were we were shocking. We were yeah. just getting through, sneaking through, and I wasn't swimming that well that week. I, something was out with my stroke. I just I could have no 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 speed and power. Dad wasn't paddling that well either. What are you and talking about? I was <laughs> having, like, the board we were on, the board we were on was completely wrong as well. So um, we swapped boards and. I actually came through at the end of the week and started flying again. Um, I think that was the Friday or Saturday at that point. Yeah, it would have been Saturday. And it just all all things in that week were like, obviously at the start we sort of thought about winning, but then we forgot about it through that process. And and then it all of a sudden happened. I guess we won the semifinal by probably 20 or 30 metres. It was a big win in the semifinal. And then at that point I think we had to sort of like realize Re- that, <laughs> yeah. Recheck, you know, basically just go. Hang on, that means nothing. It doesn't mean you're going to do well in the next one. It doesn't yeah. mean you're not going to do well. It's like just new moment in time. But I, like I hadn't paddled for. Well, I'd done a little bit a couple of years before when TJ started training, but it was 15 years since I'd won the board race. Right, yeah. so it's a long time in retirement to come back, and then in the final, TJ got to the to the swim can eighth. Yeah. You know, so um, he's pretty much unbeatable, but he got there eighth. Yeah, at that point. <laughs> you know, I, I honestly, so Leon Zagel and myself were right side by side and we're both surface guys and we were very quick to the can. And I swear that whole race was just was like, slow in the middle. it was made by the gods because there's two waves that broke and they broke right on us too. And yeah. it just meant that whole field, once we caught that runner up, it meant for that exciting finish to the sprint up the beach that was just literally beaten by the handy nose, which is quite big. <laughs> um, and um, it just all worked out really well that if I wasn't last to the can, then maybe we wouldn't have won it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So it was, was it nothing to do with perfection and everything to do with connection. And at the same time, it wasn't, it was never meant to happen. It was completely meant to happen. It was like this yeah. strange dichotomy of experiences, you know, which made it so, otherworldly you know we finished and felt amazing we're all on the beach and there's people cheering for us that had their kids in the in the race they were going we're cheering for you guys it was was a bit of an honor to be able to race that way even even just the fact there's a board rescue strap on the board so on the tail of the board there's the very back strap had we had that no other boards in that race had it and also Dad and I did about six weeks of um, once a week. We met with a guy named Shane Pierce who was a beach sprinter and beach flag guy at, at Surface Paradise, and he sort of taught me how to use my explosive power technically sprinting because my sprint wasn't that good up the beach. I was getting beaten up the beach a fair bit and all that sort of stuff, and Dad sort of reignited his, his speed in that time as well. So we did sprint training, believe yeah. it or not, and just for <laughs> mucking around just to learn stuff. Yeah. Straight, straight line sprint training, which, you know, <laughs> it worked out so well. We stood up to win a, a sprint up the beach, you know, like yeah. the, the, the uh, 46-year-old bloke <laughs> sprinting yeah. up behind his son. We raced yeah. up the beach against Jay Finesse and James Stewart. And they're not they're not slow up the beach either. JB up the beach and yeah, the Aussie J- board race. <laughs> <up the> <laughs> uh, so Trevor, with the um, with that though, you know, you're saying TJ was you know, going out the can a bit behind. Now you've done a, 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 so many races in pressure situations. 
How were the nerves when you're about to run in there for the for the final? Did, did you yeah. think about that, or just thought, oh, it's another another day in the surf? No, no, it's a funny thing because this is why I keep saying using the word, term otherworldly. Like right before we won the semi, I walked down on the water's edge and I was just feeling the running. I was just checking out the depth where I was going to run in. And I was looking down at the water and I literally just had tears in my eyes and started crying because I thought far out, I'm living the dream here. I'm like yeah. in the final of the Australian Open Board Rescue with my son. I'm like, wow, what a journey. I just felt so humbled and grateful, you know. And so I looked looking down sort of crying, tears falling into the water, and then I see TJ's feet step in front of me and he said something along the lines of, yeah, I, I agree, Dad. He's always been highly intuitive. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, oh, we're just living the dream here, blah, blah, yeah. you know. <laughs> and we had this hug, you know, and it was more about that than anything else, I, I believe, I feel, because when TJ stood on the line, he turned around like, oh, I've got to tell you something just before he went. And he didn't get to tell me later, but what it was was he was so in the moment and so – present and so everything was a bonus that he wasn't nervous yeah anybody who turned around to say was i understand what you mean by being in the moment like yeah. he didn't get it to say to me told me later yeah it wasn't even nervous everyone was like ready for this australian final it's like it doesn't matter i'm already winning i'm in the aussie open board fight board relay fight board rescue final with my dad <laughs> that everything's a bonus so when yeah. he went and he tagged i only trained for eight weeks and my goal for eight weeks was to be able to pick up tj as fast as i could you know, right. just to do him the justice of actually, that was the, my motivation for eight weeks of training. And so I turned myself inside out for eight weeks and got myself to a level. And so the whole way out, no one else existed. Yeah. I wasn't seeing if I was catching anybody. There was just Tej and the gold can, by the way, we're on the gold can in the middle <laughs> because we won the semi. And it was just TJ and that can and nothing else existed. So there was no nerves. There's no nothing other than I want to honour my son with a good paddle. And I think those elements... We picked up. I picked him up. My fin got caught in the can, yeah. pulled me backwards when he went under the board. Board smacked him in the head, <laughs> then had to pull back out of the can, then get back around him again. And got, so I'd caught up to about fifth or so, and then we're back in eighth by the time we got on to go. Yeah. And Tej got on the board and said, well, that's the worst change in the history of the world. <laughs> you know, and we both laughed and went, don't worry about it. And he steered us. And I went to say to him, turn right, because there's a little, you know, a bump. And yep. he tilted his chest on the front of the board to turn right. And I just thought, just shut up. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, and yeah. I just mimicked everything he did. When he was like an albatross with his arms out, I was like that. When he was chin down on the board, I had my chin in his ass just going as fast as I could. <laughs> you know, when he was doing slow ones and because we had to just track our way in faster, yeah. slow all the way in. And he, he basically just led the charge. And that was my realisation that you've done your best. He's on his own now. Not on his own, but it's his journey yeah. now. Just stand by his side. Yeah. And we've came all the way home. So there's no nerves. It yeah. wasn't just another day in the ocean. It was actually this amazing day that I, I'll never experience again, you know, yeah. um, and something that we can share forever. And I had to pick you up and drag you out of the water again. Yeah. Lucky the backstrap was there. You know. I will point out that with me holding the ball, we beat Jay Fennis at the beach, but without me, Jay beat yeah, you. Yeah. So. <laughs> Do you think um, sun competition still going on? <laughs> Do you think that's brought you guys together and the connection a lot better by doing that board rescue together than what you would have if you didn't? I think um, for me, hundred percent. I think we'd already come together, and that kind of sealed the deal. Yeah. You know, like it just made a unique experience that we've forever shared. But it was only possible because of what we'd already shared, and it was only possible because of what TJ 
had done in himself and confronted in himself and the way he trained and approached life and the type of person he was and vice versa with me. So it's all the elements that came together. And I think since, I think there's lots of things we've broken through since and moments we've had together, but it's always still a constant challenge. Like Tej has taken yeah. on to be the best Ironman he can and that's like hard, that's a hard thing to do. And so it's a constant challenge with the two of us and for me how to support him and to teach how to receive that support or want it or not want it or you hit the money, hit a nail on the head today, Dad, but today I want you to shut up or, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. it's it's a, it's a constant challenge. So I think the base level of super close but always learning probably my answer. Yep. Yeah, and, and challenges I guess. But it, well, for me, like I guess the um, the thing with that race was like I, I feel like we had always had a good connection, you know, and the Ironman stuff, me being his son and all that sort of stuff, I always – idolized dad and stuff but i think what was so cool about the board rescue was that we got to show it you know in front of the crowd and and just show how unique and uh how much we loved each other in front of the crowd and then for them to actually get a moment to feel into that and actually understand it a little bit that's what was unique for me and that was the greatest part of it all and that's never gone away so yeah yeah well for the um the listeners that are that don't know it's probably the first time and it's ever been done before and in Australian um, surf life saving, yeah. There's in an, in an event like that. There's a father that won with his son in the boat race at some stage. He was a sweep, and his son was there, but not right. two people racing together, as in both paddling or yep. you know in a relay or whatever in an open competition. Yeah. But I did just see it. Aussies. There was a, a a father that had his two sons in the crew. Um, right. And they won the gold medal in under 21 or reserve. I don't think it was open okay. maybe, but just recently, you know, and I could straight away, it was the only boat race I saw pop up on, you know, yeah. when I went to look on the website. And and I just got straight away, wow, what an incredible experience doing that with two sons, you know. Like yeah. it was already blew my mind with one, you know. <laughs> I tried to pull Bailey out a couple of times to do the ball relay and get one of those stops together, but he hasn't been motivated enough yet. He said at one stage you would, but dad, yeah. dad, we'll get to 65 and we'll have to put him <laughs> in the middle. Pull, pull him out of, yeah, pull him out of the relay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, TJ, yeah. the uh, you know, your Ironman career, you, you have won some races uh, – in that, and how was it when you when you broke through and won that first race in the Nutrigrain series? Oh, it's it's such a it's a strange feeling, mate. It's it's the biggest thing is relief, I guess. Like when you're coming from a place where you you doubt yourself, you wonder if you will ever win anything, whether it's worthwhile, and then you've also got this shadow hanging over you the whole time, and everyone wondering if you'll ever step out of it. Yeah. For me, that was just like, oh, I did it, but that. The hardest thing for me is I haven't won a Nutrigrain round since that. I've come, you know, second and third and third at Aussies and stuff like that. But since then, it's been like now it's my job to do it again and again. But, like, I, I've been really struggling with how, how to go about doing it again because I think the first part was proving that I'm not just Trevor's son and that sort of was like a, a fair bit of fuel at the time. And then since then, now it's just striving to be really fast and actually – achieve all these things I want to achieve and um you know the last 12 months has been super crazy for me with injuries and you know almost chronic fatigue and stuff from just being so stressed on you know on the Ironman career and and the the amount of life force it takes to you know achieve what you want to achieve but um yeah definitely like the biggest thing is relief when you get a win like that and um I just remember the week after feeling like I just was floating (laughs) yeah Mm. 
Well, I mean, you, you mentioned injuries. You've had some injuries there, and and a lot of athletes go through injuries throughout their careers. So how do you deal with that? You know, obviously you go in some dark times. And Trevor, I don't know if you had any any major injuries during your career, but you you would go into these dark times knowing you can race so much better, but the injuries are holding you back. Yeah, it's it's fun, funky. It's like I even got to the Australian Australian titles, and I thought I was coming out of the dark time sort of thing, and I got to the semi of the of the Ironman, and I was in about sixth or seventh coming out of the swim on Ali Day's feet, who ended up going to, on to win his first Australian Ironman title in the final. And I remember just thinking, you know, as I ran around the transition, I was hurting a bit. I'm not at peak fitness, but I just remember going, I don't want to be here. You know, I don't want to, I don't even want to make the final. And yeah. that was representative of the 12 months that I'd had leading into that and that I just wanted the season to be done. So obviously that was quite, you know, hard for me to, you know, swallow that the the year that I had, but the year in a whole was a lot of learning, a lot of questioning, um, probably just shying away from it in a lot of ways because you just didn't have the energy and you couldn't muster up that life force to actually go a hundred percent. And really even that mental approach, like my back, I just was stressing out about my back the whole time. Every time yeah. I went back to training and stuff like that, I was worried that it was going to blow out again. So it does take a lot from you, but I guess you just you got to pick it up bit, bit by bit, and that's what I'm trying to do at the moment is get all my um, my energy back to start the season strong and and um, and go back to training fit and healthy. Actually, uh, when I, I spoke to Rido, uh, Trevor, which you know very well, and uh, the other week, and, and he was saying that obviously you know he had that, that major injury with his arm. Um, he was yeah. talking about that and – and the dark times he went through in, in that period because he said he was pretty much at the peak of his racing and, and he got this the, the injury yeah. of the blood clots. And funny enough, he said, which I'll, I'll touch on now, with you guys were pretty much rock stars back in the Uncle Toby's days. He mentioned when he used to play the music you know, with you in your garage and you had that band together. H- how were those times? Yeah, well, a couple of things there. Rito was up on the Gold Coast with us training trying to take those last couple of steps and and we were all best mates and really well connected and um, he was staying with a very good friend of mine and uh, he got the blood clots and, and so we were in hospital with him and all that sort of stuff and I think that's probably one of the things that he felt that, you know, the people that got around him, similar to when John Robinson had his motorbike accident, the amount of yeah. Iron Men that actually turned out to be his family that, you know, got around these guys and because... You know, when we've all been through relationship breakups or whatever or dark times, we've all just been there for each other. So that was a really powerful reflection of that whole Uncle Toby's group. We kind of were all in it together. We weren't, you know, it wasn't like, oh, it's happened to that guy over there. It's like, that's my brother, you know. So um, I think when we're in the, we'd created the band, you know, which was awesome for Rido as well because he was coming back. So we'd now created this new thing together that he could do and he was coming back from this injury and he, completely, he actually became a really good bass guitarist and, yeah. and wrote great songs and all sorts of stuff. And then in the end, we we're all training everything else. And Rito had this big list of new songs we had to learn. He's like, <laughs> you're not doing your guitar practice. And it's like, dude, we've got to go training, you know. <laughs> well, I have to go avoid training and go surfing. But um, it was an amazing experience, you know. That, and that came off the back of Grant Kenny sitting on a plane with Richard Wilkins and Richard Wilkins saying, you guys are so hot right now. You know, yeah. you could just do mine to a clip of satisfaction and, and I reckon it'd sell blah, 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 you know. And um, so Grant arrived at Portsea for the point, for the um, Uncle Toby's race and pulled us into a room and said, just talking to Richard Wilkins, he reckons we could make a band, blah, blah, blah. We could mine the clip. And then we're all talking about it and we're like, well, 
let's not mime, let's actually learn some instruments and make a band, you know. Yeah. And we're all so cocky enough to t- take on some big challenge. And <laughs> so we literally, it came from, oh, my dad played guitar, so I'll be a guitarist. You know, Dwayne was, you know, Dwayne was like, oh, I had a drum kit when I was five <laughs> for a year, so I'll be the drummer. And Grant was like, you know, he actually, Grant said, well, I drummed in the school band, but drum was taken now, so I'll be a guitarist as well. <laughs> Rito was like, he decided to be, he wanted to be the, the uh, bass guitarist because he had fat fingers. <laughs> yeah, he said, oh, what's the guitar with only four strings? And we're like, bass guitar, Rito goes, I'll do that. And then Leachy decided he'd be the lead singer because that was, you know, going to be Leachy. <laughs> he did one lesson and quit the band. And then yeah. Guy Andrews actually came and actually auditioned for the band yeah. and played and sang a couple of his own numbers and we auditioned him and he left the room and we were like, oh, my God, he's the only one that knows anything. <laughs> so he's like, how do I go? Did I get in? We'll, we'll let you know. And then we tell him, like, you're in. He was like so stoked. But he was the only one with any musical talent. And um, so we, we actually got teachers, coaches and everything and we actually learned and um, had a goal within two years to play on stage. Yep. And about eight months later, my manager walked in. He's an old musical manager, Jeffrey Shoecraft, and he walked in and said, oh, I've got good news and bad news. And I'm like, what's that? And he goes, well, good news is the Beach Boys are coming to town, you know, and I put you down as the as potential support act, you know, <laughs> yeah. and you got the gig. And we're like, oh, my God, that's unbelievable. And he's like, the bad news is it's on in like four months. <laughs> and so I think it was like 12 months after we'd learned to play instruments that we toured with the Beach Boys and played <laughs> played on stage with them. So. It was this crazy, surreal experience and, you know, we had all the, we, you know, same sort of time we met Madonna and hung out with Michael Jackson and went on Baywatch. And yep. So it was a pretty exciting time for Ironman racing, but um, but that band thing was pretty pretty amazing and unique and we met some pre- pretty cool people through that. Oh, mate, it's just crazy stuff. It's something that – it is surreal, isn't it? From one minute you're an Ironman, next minute you're, uh, you're up on stage and in front of a massive crowd. Amazing stuff. You know, you know what's really funny is we had this poster and it had Hendy, Kenny, Andrews, Reddington, Ties, you know, Hendy, Kenny, Andrews, Reddington, Ties, right? <laughs> it had this poster. And then we did this tour around Australia, the Uncle Toby's 100-year anniversary tour. Yep. We ended up playing 50 gigs. And so we played right around Australia in the bus. But Grant couldn't come. And Sean <laughs> Kenny was like, oh, I've always wanted to play. I play a bit of guitar. So Sean came into the band. We didn't have to change the poster <laughs> because he, even though they weren't related, it was still – you know, Kenny Handy ties Reddington Andrews. Um, so yeah, but uh, Sean and, and Guy end up being the yeah, the last two in. They're probably the two best musicians. Oh, that's a mate. It's a great story that with um, the current Nutrigrain Ironman series. You know, how's that compare to the to the Uncle Toby's days? Because it seems like it, it has dropped off a little bit. I mean, prize money's not as good as what it probably was back in the day. And do you think Ironman racing will get back to where it was? Um, Surf Lifesaving were holding on to an amateur product meant like before the Uncle Toby series and they, that was their conditioning. That's what they knew, you know, the world world of sport was fearful of professional sport, amateur tennis and professional tennis and Olympic games and all that sort of stuff. People in this era don't realise that when I was first racing, you know, a professional sportsman couldn't go to the Olympic Games. You know, they, yeah. no one knows yeah. that these days. So Surf had held on to that for a long time and, and so be that was fine. We pushed the envelope, we broke away. What's really, really cool is that the shift and the change in the people in surf life saving now and, now and their embracing of new ideas and everything else is just so fantastic. It's so right for new ideas. And they even brought Mick Porra back in, who was the promoter of the Toby series and our hero of the day. Yep. 
And, um, you know, so he came back into the fold. So what I've seen him do in the last two seasons has been awesome to get it back on Channel 9, have the second weekend of racing live on Gem. Yep. You know, it's, it's free to air TV. But to play with the formats, next year we're just going to get it in waves. Yep. You know, we're just going to get it back to venues and waves and without a COVID, three races in one venue thing, yep. try and get a bit of money back, get it in waves. But the understanding's there. Yep. And I think the only thing that boys and girls need, not saying they don't have it, but it can always do more of, is probably the appreciation and the humility, or the gratitude for we've got a sport and we're healthy. Yep. Let's do something with it, which is how we came about at it. Um, yep. It wasn't demanding more. It was actually getting out there and trying to do more. And I see that in a lot of the guys. They're trying to do more for it. Matty Pearl and Matty Bevilacqua tried to run the you know a, series, a race in Bali. The yep. taste is there. The guys want to do more. Yep. You know, but they need to work together. They need to be against each other in the water, but they need to all be on the same page on the beach. And and um, when the sport's like that, it'll go to the next level because that's what people want to watch. They yep. want to watch surf lifesaving be representative of surf lifesaving, which is humanitarian, yep. elite bronze Aussies that can go out in any conditions and drag someone back to the beach. I, I believe that's what yep. makes it unique. It's the only professional sport in the world where you got to serve the community to actually to be in it, you know. So I actually don't think that's a problem. I think that actually makes these guys, that's part of their DNA, the guys and girls. And I think um, there's a place to make that really magical and big and get back to, to great yeah. prize money and all those sort of things. And that's certainly mixed agenda for it mm. and appears to be surf life savings. And I, I believe when they all come together, it'll happen. Yeah, 100%. I think it's uh, something that will be great to get back to where it was. But, uh, yeah, and the, the competition like that, the people in it, the men and women, yeah. are first-class elite, world-class athletes, fittest in the world, you know. So it deserves to be front and centre, you know, and, and they deserve to do the training and get a reward for what they're doing, yeah. not be struggling to pay the bills. So, yeah, but, you know, things like this, we work towards it. Yeah, no, that's great, mate. The uh, couple other things, as you know, I'm a, I'm a lifeguard, so I want to throw it out there. You guys have been in the ocean for a long, long time. Have you guys ever done a rescue that stands out? Done two, two different ones that stand out to me. Um, one, one was in Bali, and I was, I was going out to surf Uluwatu, and we'll st- well, there was a new restaurant right on the edge of the cliff, on the edge of the actual cliff on the side of the water, not the one that you sort of look down yeah. and have the gap. It was the one that they sort of just put right on the front. Yep. And there was this guy like wedged in between the rocks, yelling, "Help! Help! Help!" and um, my mate Finn, uh, Finn Askew, who was in who's in the um, the Nutrigrain series as well, and I had to go around and actually swim into this wedged up thing where all these waves were and help this this guy out of out of there, and he was getting absolutely flogged. And that one was pretty mm. sketchy. And then the other one was just recently just got a whole family on one board in a on, in a big rip near Surface Paradise. Recently, I had four people on one board and just like holding on and getting washed in slowly with you know sort of watching other people and talking to other people to the beach at the same time and just realising, you know, how quickly they could have gone yeah. out to sea without someone there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had, I've had a ton of them. Like I did it a lot in the early stages because when you were younger, if you were the fastest board paddler, you got yeah. sent out first, you know. <laughs> and so I did a lot, a lot of rescues and there's a few that stand out. Ones when I'm going surfing and someone split their head open or cut their, you know, yeah. archery wide open or whatever and you airlift it out but kind of saved their life by tourniqueting, all that sort of stuff, some really interesting ones. But one that stands out is an early one. I was pretty young and I paddled out and there's two Japanese gentlemen in the mid to late 80s 
and they were right at Surface Paradise in a big rip and um, just off to the side of the flags. And they just walked down, jumped in it because it looked, looked nice blue water. Yeah. Out they went, about five or six foot on the back break, and they were out towards the back break. And I got out to one, and they'd just basically given up. And they were about 10 metres apart, and I had to go down to one and basically pick him up. He was sunk. He was just sinking and suspended yeah. in the water. I had to pick him up to the surface and swim over, push him to the surface and go dive down and get the other one who'd also given up, bring him up and grab the other one on the way back up. It was yeah. starting to sink and hold on to both of them <laughs> until one by one, two board paddlers arrived. So I just dumped my board because I had to get these two people and just get them to the surface. Yeah. And then, you know, board paddler came out and got one on, the, the second one on. And um, funny thing was I got to the beach and it was this mass rescue and they ended up on oxygen. They both lived and it was all good and, and then a reporter came down and talked all about it and everything else. And I'm thinking, oh, I was a young kid, you know. Yeah, yeah. So you go, oh, I'm going to be on the, in the newspaper. And <laughs> the next day they rang and spoke to me at the surf club. And the next day there was an article on the front, dog rescued at Burley Heads, you know. And then right <laughs> down the bottom was a big story about a dog being rescued. Down the bottom was like two Japanese gentlemen were rescued in a life and death thing at Service Paradise. And that was the footnote at the bottom <laughs> the of the dog being rescued, <laughs> which is about what it should be. You know, yeah, yeah. The, the whole idea was the little ego and you wanted to be acknowledged for yeah, rescuing yeah. someone, but it's actually not about that. It's about the fact that they went home to their family. So yeah. I still wanted that recognition for a long time, but eventually realized it was all bull crap. So no, that's, that's, that's another great, great story. And um, yeah, as you know, the, the, trying to um, how difficult it is to rescue on people and how quick, you can lose someone and, and it doesn't take too much to uh, for someone to drown. Also, what you guys do, mate, is, is amazing. And in the lifeguards and the TJ's lifeguard a lot as well, is that often people are in smaller teams looking after bigger areas and, you know, teams of one and two and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. But um, that that's amazing in itself. But also what you guys have done with the show, you know, yeah. the awareness you brought to the ocean and everything else is can't you can't be thanked enough, mate, because no. – we see and deal with people all the time that are more aware because of your your program yeah. and what you guys have done. So thanks for that because yeah. you know we're volunteers, but that's been it's made the world a different place to with that that being around. So thanks. No, thanks, mate. That's uh, very much appreciated. Um, your comments is it's great. Also, one last thing: what does the ocean mean to you guys? Life. <laughs> <laughs> But like, if I didn't have the ocean, honestly, I just don't know what I would do. Like, even yesterday, I just went down, drove down to Byron, caught up with the mate, and just surfed out there at, at Tallow's Beach. And surf was absolutely pumping. I was flat, energyless on the way down there. Got out, surf was absolutely cooking. And then it was about, I'm not even kidding, a hundred dolphins out, and they yeah. were rolling right beside us, swimming underneath <laughs> us, catching the waves with us, like as close as I've ever seen them to me. And just like unique experiences like that where they actually like – I walked up the beach and I, I was 5,000 times the person I was yeah. when I walked into the water. It's just like it's, – it's, like it's like a charger. Yeah, I, I'd say um, everything too. You know, in my later life, I've become a pretty spiritual bloke and, you know, I life coach people and I help people to understand the more important things. And, and so I, I answer the question more on an energetic level of, what I always loved about the ocean, the feelings it gave me, eventually became the feelings when I became a more balanced, happy, really, truly happy version of myself. It's the same feelings. Yeah. You know, and I kind of felt like that I always called the ocean a she. I always said the ocean is emotion. Like she teaches you to let go and she teaches you to flow and fly and she brings the best things out in you. And I always said 
before I knew anything about what spiritual meant, it's like having a spiritual bath. I always came out a better person than I went into it. Yeah. But all my most amazing experiences other than with love in family and friends and everything else have been in the ocean. And yet it's the same energy, the love that I have for my family, for my wife, for my kids. That thing that it makes me feel is the same feeling that gets enhanced when I'm out there. So it's mm. like I feel like I am the ocean. You know, it's, yeah. it's pretty deep, but I just it's going in that is like being is honoring myself, you know. So and that's where we had that crazy experience as well. And yeah. she's always turned up for me at the time, <laughs> right time. And the wind's blown and you know, blown the wind when I needed it and made the made the waves when I needed yeah. it and healed me when I needed. I've gone underwater and yelled when I needed to. I've gone underwater and cried when I've needed to floated on my back and let the world come in when I've needed to, yeah. you know, and I've had my best experiences with friends and met the world out in the ocean too. You know, it's, it's, um, it's everything, mate. I just, I just love it. It just feels like it's not, I'm not talking about something outside of myself. It feels like it's yeah. an extension of myself. You know, I think it's the same. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, TJ, Trevor, mate, it's been uh, great having you guys into the beach shack and having a chat and, and telling your stories and, it's, uh, you know, Trevor, Thanks, I've, I've watched you over all the years, mate, and to this day you're probably arguably the, the best Ironman that's gone around. And, and TJ, mate, you, you can see you coming through and hopefully you uh, get back, train hard and uh, get a couple of wins next season. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Yeah, that's the plan. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Keep, keep up the good work, hey? Cheers. Thanks for having us. Cheers, guys. How good was it having father and son Trevor and TJ in the beach shack? Next up, Beach Banner with Jethro. Okay, this week's good to have in the Beach Shack, Jethro. How are you, mate? Good, mate. Am I paying rent here now or what? <laughs> mate, I'll uh, send you an invoice. All right. I'm not paying any more than 70. <laughs> well, mate, we uh, recently uh, did a, a TV commercial together with uh, Joel, <laughs> which was quite hilarious <laughs> yeah. uh, for Hello Fresh. Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> was this the start of all of our acting careers? <laughs> oh, I think mine started and ended in the same day. I but think yeah. it might have. Yeah. yeah, it was a very interesting one. I think we were all pretty nervous when we saw the setup out the front, weren't we? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I mean, we turned up and we thought, oh, we'll just, you know, do a bit of a video shoot. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's about eight trucks catering <laughs> the whole shebang. <laughs> it was nuts. I was like, when, when you're a little kid and you drive past parts of the beaches around here and you always see film crew setups yeah. and i always would see all the trucks and be like oh yeah oh yeah they're filming a movie what are they filming what are they yeah. filming and then when we showed up me and joel who hadn't read the script by the way um <laughs> thinking there's going to be five people filming this thing those were the film trucks the film <laughs> trucks were there there was like four film trucks but everything coffee vans 40 people me and joel looked at each other and just went we should have read the script. <laughs> I was like, mate, there's gnarly. Yeah, massive production, wasn't it? And so, uh, yeah. yeah, then we sort of, yeah, we should have all read the scripts because they <laughs> well, had to try and remember stuff. <laughs> yeah. Which wasn't too good. Script reading isn't probably your <laughs> your focal point, is no, it? Bruce? No, it's not my best, best, not my best trait, mate. For anyone listening, <laughs> there was one particular line, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, no um, nutritious. Nutritious. I so, couldn't get the nutritious right. Or you also couldn't get the name Hello Fresh right. 
Yellow Fresh. Yeah, yellow Fresh. And right. I think this happened 15 times over. <laughs> and in the setting we're in, we're talking, we, we get through a few lines, goes to Hop, Hop gets to new, the word nutritious and goes, <laughs> and you watch collectively the whole of the film crew, which is like 40 people jammed into a kitchen, go, <laughs> in your defense, it is a hard environment. <laughs> like We're used to cameras, but we're not yeah. used to... Cameras like that. We're not used yeah. to 40 professionals with all different jobs. And, and at the yeah. same time, you know, you're doing it for Hello Fresh. So we're trying to learn the lines and deliver the lines while moving and then also cooking yeah. what they want us to cook in the, in, yeah. you know, the dishes. I mean, and I can't cook. Oh, well, I can't cook either. Well, I only learned this morning how to um, <laughs> cook poached, poached eggs. But, yeah, anyway, the day went on. We did what? Well, it was probably about 15 hours. It was a long day. And, uh, you know, by the end, uh, it was pretty... Oh, yeah, we're pretty tired. Yeah, I think it was what well, it was supposed to be like 10 hours. It ended up being, yeah, like 13 or 15 yeah. hours. And the last thing you're doing, you want to be doing that deep into it is remembering lines and doing the same one sentence line 10 times over when they go for the different angles yeah, and stuff. Yeah. It was like, that's right. I was surprised by how tough it actually was. And Bo Ryan, who we were with, and he's much more accustomed yeah. to that setting, even he was like, I'm done. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm broken here. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah. It was tough. For, yeah, yeah it's day. another, like, no, we're not putting a roof on a home, but it's another, it's hard work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right mentally out. hard. And, yeah, imagine we were, even we are discussing about, imagine, like, doing movies. Like, that'd oh. be that, like, that every day for probably three months. Unbelievable. Yeah. Seriously. The Maybe. more you do it, you'd have to get better, you yeah. hope. Although I would do it for the makeup lady. Remember the makeup lady? <laughs> That's right, the makeup like, lady. I, felt, I, I think a lot of people may be embarrassed about having a personal makeup person. I was completely not embarrassed. No, no. <laughs> I was she, stoked. Yeah, she did enjoy uh, yeah. doing your face. At was, one stage, I saw her doing your nails. <laughs> yeah, she did my nails. And then, yeah, I couldn't believe it. She came in, she filed my nails. Obviously, the fringe was a bit of a tough one for her. It was going to blow on the elements. And she had to constantly come every every time, <laughs> rush over through the people, fix my fringe, put a little bit of extra makeup on because I'm a bit of a bushy. Um, and then, yeah, I was stoked. I'd, I'd, every time we cut scene, I'd look over at her and be like, I'd point to my forehead and be like, is it all good? Is it all good? And she'd just laugh at me like, you're an idiot, mate. Like, yes. Oh, I loved it. Oh, it was good. It was a good fun day and a good good experience as yeah. well. And. You know, I feel sorry for the editor trying to put it all together, but Jeez. hopefully, uh, knowing what they're like, it's uh, it, the product turned out absolutely fantastic. Fantastic! Those halloumi burgers were their grouse. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> I can't Hello, wait to fresh. See the clips. Hello, fresh. Hello, <laughs> fresh. <laughs> all right, Jeff. Hopefully, we can get another uh, commercial soon. And yeah, uh, any big business out there? <laughs> yeah. Anyone that want us? There's plenty of talent. Plenty of talent. You got it right here. <laughs> Two of the best. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jethro, for coming into the Beach Shack. Coming up next, I answer letters from the fans. This letter's from Chelsea, and she's from London. What's your favourite season of Bondi Rescue? Well, I suppose after 16 uh, seasons, there's been so many episodes in there. I would have to say probably the first season because that was uh, unique and we'd never done it before, and I suppose the excitement of... uh, of having a TV show and what we do as lifeguards uh, stems right back there into into series one. And also we had uh, that resuscitation with Takahiro, which was probably one of the most perfect resuscitations I've done in my 30 years as a lifeguard. So I would have to say 
Chelsea it would be Series 1 of Bondi Rescue. Thanks everyone for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments or follow us on our social media channels which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.